Hello and welcome to Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix that is proudly brought to you, oh maybe not proudly, uh, almost pleasantly uh, brought to you by the wonderful people at Mercot's Driving Excellence, one 555 576 Welcome to the star of the show, Brian Mannix. Well, the show that reaches a high standard of mediocrity week after week or <laughs> fortnightly after fortnightly. Well, you hey, know, Kev, how you going? I'm good. We didn't want to put the bar too high because, you know, you and I have both got to achieve it. I think the, uh, the theme for this show or our slogan should be Life of Brian. Lower your expectations. <laughs> How about that? Well, not, not in guest-wise, uh, though. We've got three fantastic guests. We do. Icons of the Australian music industry, all three in, in different ways and forms, I suppose. Icons of the Australian industry in all different ways and forms, I suppose. So I'm doing an Ian Chapel, just repeating what Mike Gibson said. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. Ian's just uh, hung up the uh, the shingle too. He's not he's not doing commentary anymore. He's he's retired. Oh, it's, I'm a massive fan of yeah. Ian Chapels. Oh, look, he's the only bloke I know. I was at, got to swear on the um, wide world of sports. That was a top moment <laughs> in television. Uh, so today we have coming up Normie Rowe. Ooh la la. Yeah. We'll play that. We'll play Ooh La La. Good. Yeah. I love Ooh La La. Yeah, it's a good song. Uh, I, I, actually, I like quite a few of Normie's songs. I, I, I think Normie's the most underrated talent by today's, you know, organisations. I don't think he was underrated in in the peak of his uh, sort of success back in the late he, 70s, uh, sort of late 60s, early 70s. Oh, he was huge, absolutely huge. Oh, there wasn't not anyone bigger. He's not, well, he's not very tall, but he's... Career was huge. Yes. And he was just girls were chasing and ripping his clothes off wherever he went. Exactly. So we've got uh, Normie coming up. Uh, we've got Steve Kilby from the church because they're back on the road and doing a tour, and we'll let you know where you'll be able to see them. And he's always, he's always good fun, Steve Kilby. Well, he's really interesting, isn't he? And, um, you know, but yeah, he's quite funny in this one, in this particular uh, interview, and uh, always a joy to speak to him. I think he's great. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, finally, we're back with uh, I Love That Song. I love it. <laughs> I love shirt. it. I can't get enough of it. Bit of Shirley Bassey going on there. I love you, Hank. I love you, Hank. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yes, with Mick Thomas from Weddings, Parties, Anything. So um, uh, and I guess you've already picked the song that we we both love, Father's Day, because Father's Day is Sunday week. So uh, we thought we'd, uh, we'd throw that in and have a chat to Mick about writing that song. So that's what's coming up, Brian. Well, that sounds like a pretty good show to me, Kev. Mercot's Driving That's Excellence. They're the people that you should be uh, talking to. Uh, give them a call, one three hundred five 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 seven six 576 or mercots.edu.au. Become a safer driver. Exactly right. Now, actually, you do a bit of driving, in the, not driving, you do a bit of passengering. Is that such a word? Yes, I do. I'm a, I'm a terrible passenger, actually. I get so scared in cars. I've got a real sort of fear of them. Well, and, you were pretty um, relaxed when we were talking to Steve Kilby, so uh, obviously you had your mind on other things, so, which is probably a good thing. What time were we talking about cars? What? Yeah, well, you were. You were in the, you were in the car with Maxie War when uh, we did the Steve Kilby interview. Oh, 
Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah okay. Oh, were, sorry, Kev. I were, forget I'm an idiot. You were transiting. Yes. Oh, well, the rest of us don't, so it's okay. Um, but let's get okay. to let's get to Normie Rahu. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to Normie first up, and then we'll get to Steve Kilby, and then we'll get to Mick Thomas. So it's all coming up here on the Life uh, of Brian. Okay. Okay. I am girt by rock stars. Girt by rock stars. Girt by rock stars. Yep. Oh. It's going to be my name of my new book. Hurt by rockstars. I like it. <laughs> hey, Nommy, how you doing? I'm fantastic, thanks, Kev. How are you? I'm good, mate. Really, really good. You look well? I am. You do look and well. My unwellness, I, I cast adrift and set on side. As, uh, uh, as Willie Nelson sings, don't let the old man in. Ah, <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's a nice way of looking at it. Can't you sit down, Manix? What's the matter with you? No, I'm, look, I, I'm sorry, I, I will. I, I generally do about 2.3 kilometres while I'm doing these things because I just always seem to pace. So I'll, I'll sit myself down and now I'm set to go. It's all good now. How's that? That's better. And, no, and right. turn, your screen si- turn your screen sideways because that's... No, I'm, there I am. Uh, <laughs> now you are sideways, you idiot. <laughs> well, that, well, that's... <laughs> oh God! This is like hey, Kevin, a Benny Hill. You and I are surrounded by idiots. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good by idiots. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm changing the name of the book now. Good by Rockstars yeah. to Good by Dickheads. But anyway, <laughs> Good by Dickheads. Um, so, so tell it. What's the set these days? What what stuff are you playing when you give when you do your shows? Oh, only stuff we can remember. <laughs> Just half a song then and then go home? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, it's it, basically uh, the stuff that we've been doing since, uh, well, Trotter and I met when I was 13. He was playing drums with Johnny Chester's band. I was just a kid. Stan Rofe took me down to uh, Preston Town Hall and uh, uh, where I, I was introduced to the Thunderbirds and, uh, and the Chessmen. And I started playing, I started singing with them when I was 13. I was supposed to be 14 to be able to sing it after 8 o'clock at night or something. So uh, I put my age up, but that was it. Was that the Lou Tapano Music School? Uh, yeah, well, it, it, that's what led to these things at Preston Town Hall, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was doing a concert with our high school band. It was Moonburn and we were doing a concert on the back of the truck. <coughs> in the Alexandra Gardens, and uh, Stan was the compere. He seemed to like what, what, well, I did anyway. He must have hated the band, but like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they went on to better things too because Marty Vanigs at high school became Marty Christian um, of oh, the New Speakers. Yeah. And Mel Clark uh, became Mel Clark or... Uh, squeaky of uh, Tony Worsley and the Blue Jays, and then later joined as bass player to Buller Makanka. Soon after, they wrote Give Me a Home Amongst the Gum Trees. So, oh, wow, we've, we've all gone on a little. Marty Christian um, was the good looking one who was in the New Seekers with Peter Doyle and Eve Graham yeah, and that. Far too, far too good looking. <laughs> For, Get out of the band. You're too good looking. No. Yeah. The girls aren't get looking at me. You're out. Yeah, get, get, get behind those symbols, drummer. <laughs> so if we come along to see you play, uh, Normie, would Ooh La La get a go? 
Oh, absolutely. Ooh la la, right. it's not easy. I have nothing. Kesara Sarar, shaken all over. Um, uh, Penelope, Elizabeth. Tell him on. The old set list we've been doing for 50 years. <laughs> do, do, <laughs> we're going to get it right one day. <laughs> <laughs> do you do, do, you do um, anything from Les Mis, Normie? Uh, from time to time I do. I've been doing it a bit more regularly lately because I realised that there was there was a connection really to what the song was all about with my connection to the ex-service community. You know, I realised the, the, the absolute impact, uh, negative impact on families and micro-communities around that serviceman or woman, you know. You know they go away, they're in an area fraught with danger, um, they've got a mum who gave birth. They've got a dad who nurtured them and loved them, and uh, they they have a cricket team they played with. They have uh, you know schoolmates. They have sisters and brothers and next door neighbours. That micro community also spends a lot of time uh, you know thinking about this young person who is uh, you know perhaps may not come back the way he went away or she went away. So. Bring him home uh, from Les Mis is is very much uh, descriptive of of that situation, and I was dedicated to the people who were waiting at home. I remember playing at uh, a concert for the Vietnam Vets at the My Music Bowl, and you got up and you sang that, and geez, you brought the house down. It was amazing. It was just because it's a really big thing, isn't it, Les Mis? That oh was, yeah, it was quite surprising actually when you first got that role. I thought. Because, you know, I knew you from shaking all over and all those things. And then suddenly you've got this massive scene. How hard was it to prepare for Les Mis? Uh, well, to the level that I wanted to do it, I wanted it, I desperately wanted to do uh, do it at, at least as good as it may have been done anywhere in the world. And I had to spend a lot of time working on that, you know. Mind you, I, I tried out for... For um, for cats prior to that, lucky you didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were in that, weren't you? No, no, I walked out on it, but um, no, I was I was in. We were rock you a couple of years ago, but um, no, not cats. No, I don't think I'd do cats. I just think it's a stinker of a play. Um, well, but well, the the movie wasn't great, I've got to say, but the I got it okay. But um, <laughs> they sent me a note saying. Uh, you were our second choice, and Jeff Phillips got the role of Rum Tum Tugger. Yeah. <laughs> I framed that that note <laughs> and and said uh, just under it, I said uh, uh, that was like having a hit record on Norfolk Island. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I went on to to audition for Les Mis. There was a role where one of the characters sang you at. Uh, you at the barricades listen to this. And I thought, oh, God, that that would be good. I could sing that and then I could just be part of the chorus, the chorus line, et cetera. And I just went along hoping that I'd sing that and uh, my audition piece was The Greatest Love of All. Now, mind you, The Greatest Love of All had only been recorded by George Benson up until that stage. It, it was sort of like off the wall as an audition piece for you know, most of the people were doing pieces from Les Mis or something that was similar from another musical. And I just chose this song because I thought it was 
fairly representative me, uh, and I'd been doing it for a while just on my cabaret shows. <laughs> I went there, I sang the song, and they, they came over and said, do you know the song Bring Him Home? And I said, of course I'll listen to it. They said, can you have a go at that? And so I started a little bit. And I'd never had a strong falsetto, so I thought, oh, it's probably not for me anyway. So I never really had the high hopes for it. And then they said, well, look, go home, have a bit of a run through for a couple of hours and then come back later on in the afternoon and, and we'll try you out. So I, I went home. My, my then wife said, how did it go? And I said, I think they're all crazy. Consequently, they liked what they heard and went on. But I said, but I don't have a strong uh, falsetto. And Claude Michel Schomburg said, we will change the melody to fit you, which I thought was amazing. And and I loved loved the way that Colm Wilkinson did bring him home in the first place. And I, I said, no, if I can't match that, I don't want to do the play. And so I spent about four hours a day for the next six months working on my vocal stuff with a, a very fine opera coach who used to be an opera coach for Victoria State Opera. You know, it was an extension of the uh, the coaching, the singing teachers that I'd had in the past, so I didn't have to unlearn any bad habits. It just built up the strength and, and my range and the, the strength in, in my, my head voice, uh, as I say. In general, you know, the, the coach got me up to scratch. His name was Don Graydon, and he was, uh, you know, I thank him all, yeah, all the time now because oh, I don't have yes. any vocal problems. Even if I've got the flu, I can sing well. Can I ask you about um, Vietnam? Now, I heard a story, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but you got pulled over by some copper and he said to you, happy birthday. And you said, how do you know it's my birthday? And he said, because it's my birthday today too. And then you said to him, so where did you serve? And he said, I didn't serve. And so I got the impression that your number got pulled out on purpose and you weren't really required to go. Is that right or is that just a vicious rumour? Well, it was in, in general, um, you know, it's, it's paraphrased but pretty much. Um, the idea of me being called up was brought up to Harold Holt by um, the military attaché to the Prime Minister of the day uh, who was Harold Holt. Uh, he said, you know, what you really need, your popularity is waning, what you really need is a, um, uh, a, a, an Australian Elvis Presley. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, look at, look at the, the publicity that Presley has given the, the, uh, the draft in the States. And, and he said, well, who would that be? And he said, well, you know, the obvious choice is Normie Rowe. They have this ballot, which was, you know, a set of marbles with numbers on, uh, the same marbles that were chosen for the Tats uh, lottery, and each number corresponded to the day of the year. And if, if for instance, if number one came out, that would be the 1st of January. If number 31, it would be the 31st of January. So it took three ballots before my birth date came out. 1st of Feb, aren't you? Yeah. There's a lot of conjecture. conjecture and, and at the end of the day, there's precious little, little that I could say or do about it, uh-huh. you know, and, and apart from the fact that, I, I know there are a whole lot of Vietnam veterans uh, and the, the service and ex-service community at large who who have my back. And how many people can actually say that? 
You know, life is what it is. If they give you lemons, you've got to make some lemonade yeah. or something. So Jeff, to- Jeff Phillips wasn't available for the ballot? No, well, that's a shame, isn't it? He could easily have taken over my job. <laughs> hey, didn't you yeah. finish up playing Harold Holt in a film? I I played him in a docudrama for yeah. the ABC and then I played him in a musical called Normie the Musical. <laughs> and guess what? I was the only Harold Holt ever to use a towel after the famous swim. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Brian mentioned Ooh La La before. Now, that's one of the ones you recorded in England when you went over there, What in, it, that was in 66 or 67, with with all these studio musos who you mentioned before, the people who've gone, you know, went on from the, uh, the, the early band, the Marty Christians of the world, but the people who played on your recordings in the UK, it's quite an astonishing <laughs> list of people. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, one of my favourites is Clem Catini, the drummer. Now, Clem played drums on 44 UK number ones. Wow. Amazing. He played on, I think it's not unusual, and a whole bunch of uh, Tom Jones things. He played on all of Dusty's stuff. He played on the Walker Brothers. He was the drummer, funnily enough, in Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Oh, wow. Who, who released uh, Shaken All Over first. Yeah. Uh, wow. He was the drummer in the Hurricanes, uh, I think it was, who had Telstar. Oh, yeah. And a whole bunch of others. So so he'd been, you know, doing all that stuff for a long time. Lovely. I'm still in touch with him every now and then. Oh, he's, wow. he's a lovely man. The, the bass player was John Paul Jones, who later became the player of, uh, of Led Zeppelin. And the guitarist was uh, Jimmy Page. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've got a number of records where Jimmy Page just goes, chump, chump, <laughs> That's classic. That is absolutely classic. I had the London London Philharmonic uh, strings. God. I had the Ted Heath brass. Uh, I had the Breakaways and the um, Ivy League as BVs. Uh, I, I just... You know, I just lucked in. You know, it was it was fantastic. At that time, we were actually uh, we could afford to record with orchestras. Wow! Yeah. I, all I've got is Maxie War on drums, Ronnie Gonzo on guitar, and the Melbourne Kazoo Orchestra backing me up. But um, <laughs> gee whiz, <laughs> not without not without success, Brian. Though. Well, you know, if you're going to put kazoos into a song, I think it's always going to be fairly successful, Normie. <laughs> well, it's something the audience can kazoo along to. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> hey, of those, of all those early songs, uh, all the early records, because I reckon some of them are great records. They're just really good records. Uh, which, which is the one, or, or is there one you, you're most proud of that you reckon you sang really well on, that, that you nailed it and it's one that you're happy to hear today as a song coming out of the radio? I really have to say it's not easy is the one that uh, stands out for me. I think the audience knows. Yeah. You know, I, we, I know if we, don't, if we don't give the respect to our audiences, we're, we're really stupid. It ain't necessarily so. We started playing at Preston Circle Ballroom at the dance there for a while once we started to beat it into shape for a um, an arrangement for recording i'd go there every every week to just to dance and um, with with the girls and all that sort of stuff it was the first time in the whole time that i'd ever been going there or been playing there that i'd actually saw the audience stop and listen 
and I thought that was really a great indication of whether you've got something worthwhile even going into a studio to record. And I think that's a really important thing. You know, it's worthwhile. A lot of people go into a studio with nothing and they write the song in the studio. And I don't know how they know that uh, that it's going to be worthy of release in the first place if they don't blood it, if they don't get it out to the audience. So that's the way it used to be done. It's Obviously done a little differently now. I've got to ask you, why did you never appear on Countdown? Why is that? I was reading your bio on your website and you never, Don't ever, know. ever did Countdown. That I mean, I was on bloody Countdown for Christ's sake as a, as a DJ. Surely they could have got you on at some stage for something. Oh, well, I, I don't think I was as famous as you. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gavin Wood was on Countdown too, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, point taken. <laughs> now, what, what, why, why, didn't, why didn't, I mean, Elizabeth was a big song in, what, 75? Funnily enough, Elizabeth only got play uh, in Brisbane, it didn't get any oh, okay. radio time. Any of the other, um, any of the other states in Australia, and yet it went to number one in Brisbane. Yeah, it was and stayed there for five weeks. Yeah, I was on I was on four IP at the time, so I, I remember yeah. it well. So why didn't why didn't you get on? I mean, there was a lot of bands who you know only had hits in their own the Jewgites in Perth or whoever you want to think about over the years. Why didn't you get on Countdown? Oh look. It would only be conjecture because I don't I don't really know, but I think that some in not just in Countdown, not just in one particular TV show or one particular magazine or newspaper, or, where one could be ha, be popular with the people who you know the producers or the journalists or whatever. For instance, the Gosset magazine. Nearly every story that was written about us in the Go Set magazine was written by the lovely Lily Brett. Yeah. Um, and the photos taken by Colin Beard. Two lovely, lovely people. They're fantastic. But you wouldn't have seen a Molly Meldrum story on Normie Row. Molly was writing about Ronnie Burns. You know, so there was that. And I think that that is probably the same sort of I'm sure that there are a lot of countdown people who didn't do the Don Lane show or the Midday show. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, and and you can only you, you can only surmise. I I don't really know, but uh, fortunately for me, I, I ended up with I think it was um, four four midday shows and two Don Lane shows a month for about wow. three years through the same time the countdown was on. So the exposure that I got from that, and it was it was not sort of teenage pub rock exposure. Uh, it was more clubland in Sydney type exposure, and I, that's that's where I was working, I guess. Yeah. You know, funnily enough, fast forward now, Brian, you did the the countdown tour, right? Yeah, uh, and I, I went to see it up in Brizzy, and I thought I would, I, all you guys were just extraordinary. And uh, of course, I did the prior uh, Long Way to the Top series, yeah. and I didn't realise the skills that I had acquired working clubs in Sydney, that I was poo-pooed by a lot of people in the business. But during that time, I worked with some of the most amazing uh, comedians. There were balancing acts. There were adagio dancers. There were uh, jugglers. There were great jazz singers. There were fantastic, you know, Ricky May was there. 
Janadel and Lucky Lucky Grills. They were just <laughs> fantastic. These people, and and I just spent my time at the side of the stage looking at all these people, watching them, and trying to work how they how they did it. That was my active education. But I I started to realise when I was doing lame. Uh, a long way to the top, that I'd had a lot of education by osmosis just by in that environment. It was a really extraordinary revelation for me because I thought for a long time maybe that time that I was doing clubs I'd wasted in, in my life and, and I never look at it that way now. I just think it was one of the great parts of my life. Yeah. Can I ask you, uh, Normie, about a long way to the top uh, tour? Um, now, I heard a rumour that Renee Geyer and Amanda Pellman had a punch on on that tour. Is that no, uh, is no that comment? Correct? No <laughs> comment. <laughs> she was that'd be a hell of a fight. You know better than I. There are a whole lot of things that went on on that tour, and you know better than I that what goes on tour stays on tour. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you are you ask Caddy. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the acting oh. thing. I mean, you did a couple of years of Sons and Daughters. Yes. Did you enjoy prior that to, or is that something that came sort well, of? Prior to that, I, I did uh, my course at the Ensemble Studios in Sydney with Hayes Gordon. Yeah, a couple of years there. Yeah. Uh, I needed, I, I always believe that you need to put something back into you, into whatever you do in life, you know, that, that gets you your income. And I was, I've looked at that, you know, quite consciously. So I spent that time and I w- went into a play at the Ensemble Theatre called Some Night in Julia Creek, in which I was typecast as a faded and ageing rock star. <laughs> <laughs> you can play that part now, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> call me, call me, I'm, I'm up for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so his name was Vin Gray and uh, it, it was it was great fun. <laughs> a, a, a little anecdote, okay? So it was, it was a five-hander. There was... Uh, uh, the uh, Robin Most played opposite me. She was she was previously a choreographer and a and, and quite a, a handy actor herself. Uh, and it was me. And then there were two a, 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 an older couple. And uh, and so Robin and I are in this two scene, and it's going on for some time. And I I said to her uh, something like, um, I don't know why. I'm in, doing this concert, this concert here, and and Robin came back and dried. She had, I could see her eyes glaze over. <laughs> You've experienced it, Brian. No, I'm not oh. saying that you dried, but you might. I've, I've done it. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> and and I looked at Robin and I know exactly what's going on. So I. Couched, I, I paraphrased my last line to try and give her the trigger to get onto the onto her next line, and uh, I, I said to her, "This concert, I don't really know why I'm doing this, or whatever." <laughs> and then she came back in straight away, and we knew where we were. And when we came off at the end of that act, the stage manager just turned around and said, "That was really well done. The way you did that was fantastic." <laughs> and Robin and I looked at him and said, oh, thanks. He said, you edited eight pages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, out of out of that, the producers of uh, Sons and Daughters were there and uh, 
and they asked me if I'd like to go and and do one or two eps, and I was to play opposite Abigail. Oh. So I did those those two episodes, and then I was cast as the the love interest of Abigail's character Caroline, and she was the most unbelievable. Not what you would expect. You, because she had that English accent, you could very easily fall into the trap of saying she was a bit of a snob. But n- nowhere, nowhere was she ever a snob, and she was the most generous person. And I was really struggling one time. Uh, I was, every time the light went on, the camera light went on. I'd I'd just do that glazed eyes thing, you know. And she said to me. After one of the scenes, you're having, you're struggling with this, aren't you? And I said, I really am. I'm going to ask them to, you know, to release me from the contract. She said, Well, don't do that yet. And then she took me through because she studied at RADA in in the UK, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And she said, Look, do this, do this, do this. And she fixed my problem straight away. Oh. And. And I could, and I, and I went on to play for another, I think it was another year or so, until the show eventually folded. And I bought her, my character bought her a fish shop. As you would, yeah, as well. <laughs> as, yeah, as you would, yeah. darling. <laughs> mind you, there was an oyster in the in the window with a with a magnificent pearl sitting in it. So she did get the pearl as well. There you go. Oh. There you go. She, she must be the only actress that's trained at RADA. To appear in Elven Rides again. Um, there you go. I didn't realise you needed that kind of qualifications to get in an <laughs> Elven Purple movie, but um, <laughs> clearly you did. So uh, being on stage and, and singing and stuff is still a, a great joy to you, Normie? An excellent joy. It's it's what I live for. I, I really love it. And I've got a band that shouldn't exist. Like Trotter started off life playing trumpet and he plays drums. Gil Matthews started off playing drums. He plays guitar. Steve, the keyboard player and the music director, plays bass on his <laughs> on his keyboard, and and we keep him in the band because he's about oh, ten to fifteen years younger than us, and he lowers the average age. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the guy at the guy at the front owns guitars. Right. <laughs> so, the bigger the right. better, because the, the the bigger the guitar. <laughs> the more of my guts are <laughs> in <my eyes. laughs> Oh, very good. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, listen, yeah. it's been terrific catching up with you. Um, uh, you, you look really well. You're bloody in great spirits. It's, it's really it's a bloody joy to have a chat to you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Great. Been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you so great. much, mate. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, well. It's it's better than the other thing. Yeah, well, and the key obviously well, is to hang around with old drummers who you know who, who that's that's the key to looking young and youthful and terrific. Well, you got no idea how hard it is to push that wheelchair around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good on you, Normie. Thanks so much for your time, mate. It's been bloody thanks, terrific. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Normie. You're a champion. I See love you, mate. It. Take care. Been good fun. Good on you. Good on you. Cheers. See ya.
Did did you say you used to walk around uh, singing that song? Yep, at St Francis de Sales Primary School, me and Jeff Kidd, we'd just walk around the playground singing Ooh La La. Good song. I just thought it was a great song, yeah. It is a good song. Um, yeah, it's a beauty. And um, I think it was a cover. I think it was a hit overseas by somebody else originally, I think. But I couldn't be well wrong, I usually am. Well, uh, Normie still does it in his set, so uh, when he's appearing live, and you can check out his uh, his website, normyrow.com, and uh, find out where he's playing around the place. It's always, always great value. Now, another uh, band uh, that is about to hit the road again with their Slings and Arrows of Outrageous Fortune Tour, uh, which starts mm. on the 1st of September, is, of course, The Church. Oh, what a band. We'll give you the dates at what the end of the band. show. They are a, they are a very good band. Uh, I must admit I appreciate them more these days than I did when they were probably at the height of their career, but I love talking to this bloke. He's good fun. He's incredibly perceptive and intelligent and knows what's going on in the world. He does indeed. And, and he sussed you out too, better. which is the other good bit about him. <laughs> well, it's not hard to suss me out. I, you know, there's not much I keep inside. Any thought I have, I just spill it out. There's no filter, no uh, filter at all. Absolutely. So let's get to the uh, fabulous Stephen Kilby. All right. Where will we be in 50 years? I'll be dead. <laughs> Same as I was when I wrote it. <laughs> how long, I was just thinking, how long ago was that? I think I wrote it in 84 and it came out in 85. So, yeah, it's – yeah, and I'm still making money out of it, so thank you, God. Hooray. <laughs> Didn't you pull off some huge thing where you've got the biggest advance? Didn't you get, a, like, a huge advance to sort of like a rock and roll swindle sort of thing? Like, like um, signed with some – We signed with CBS and we got a um, – yeah, we did get a big advance, but – the American producer spent most of it. And, you know, as you say, you know, American producers, they're always on the drummer's back. And, they um, are. Yeah, yeah. Did, when they, when it was very misleading, all that stuff about advances, wasn't it? 
because you thought, oh, you know, when someone yeah. got a million dollar advance, you thought, you know, that was 200 grand each for each guy in the band. But it didn't work that way at all, did it? No, no. And you'd get a, a deal, it's a four album deal. But if your first album doesn't sell enough, well, forget the contract. It's over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was all very much in their favor. And actually, I just, somebody just did a cover of um, 50 Years for a TV ad. And I was going, oh, great. You know, they told me what the money was. I thought, you beauty. I said, okay, me and Ronnie, we get 50% each. But the publishing company took 50%. You know, they did a couple of phone calls and a few emails, and they're up for 50% of the song. I thought, Jesus. <laughs> they're still doing it. I thought, you know, we'd be smarter enough now so that they can't do it anymore, but they still can. So, anyway. Are you in the back of a limo or something, are you? I'm, well, no, it's just a car, but um, I'm on my way to the airport. I've got to come down to Melbourne to work. So um, that I've got to say, Steve, of all the interviews we, we've done, the one where we were talking to you about how you record and stuff, I reckon that was one of the best interviews we've done. It was certainly much more interesting than Elvis Costello was. He was boring <laughs> as batshit. I thought it, for insight into the studio and recording process, I thought the interview we did with you was, was fucking great. It was really good. Mm. So um, let's hope this one goes as well. Cause I remember it was a lot about- of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a really wonderful insight. Yeah, it was like um, the 1980s were a really bad period, I reckon, for music and for rock and roll. Um, as, as we said, the, all those American producers, they came down really hard on the drummers. But why? I never knew what they were looking for, yeah, and I don't I, think it matters. If I didn't, it's like it's my fucking song. If I don't know what you're looking for in it, the, and you think it should start at this exact speed and end at that exact speed and not change at all during that, I don't know why. I don't know who wanted that. I certainly didn't. And I think we turned up in America once, and yeah. Richard Plug met this guy at the airport in New York after we arrived. I think it was a drummer from Kids in the Kitchen. Oh, or, okay. And this guy oh. had played for one day and the and the producer had sacked him and gone, he can't play in time. It's it's even worse than that, actually. I was talking to Scott because I work with Scott Kahn quite a bit and they were over in LA and they were going to record and Scott and I think the keyboard player had gone over earlier and the drummer's on his way over and while the drummer was in the air, the producer said, we're not using him. So he got oh, off the plane at L- He got off the plane in LA, and they said, "Mate, we're not using you. You're going back." So he did a you know 18 hour flight or whatever it is, and then had to go straight back. How bad would you feel? I, you know? The church had this most marvelously, marvelously explosive drummer like Keith Moon, Richard yeah. Plug, and he was like he was a young guy, and he was just he just sat down on a kit and exploded, and then we ended up. You know, in L.A. with these two guys watching him like a hawk, playing the songs, these guys are watching him and timing him. And it was like it took me so long, so many years to realise that this was not the way to do it, you know, and everything was being done to click tracks and I think the click tracks tracks were so that they could, if the timing doesn't, so we can get the backing vocals once and we can just insert it every chorus and... As long as it doesn't time, we can just insert stuff a lot better. Whereas if the timing changes, it's hard to just drop things in. And But, you know, so what? If it's hard, that probably means it's a good thing. 
Um, yeah. with, with that in mind, you're going on the road. Yeah. Is Roger in the band? Who? Roger Mason. Is he playing no. with you? No, oh. he's not. No. But we like um, we like Roger though, don't we? I love I love Roger Mason. He apparently he's gonna get a t-shirt made that says that Steve Kilby says he's the best musician I've ever met. And he is. He is the best all-round musician I've ever met in my life, the most talented mofo I have ever met. He can play everything. Mm. He can play every instrument. And he plays instruments you've never even seen or heard of, like exotic Turkish instruments and ancient instruments and Irish Celtic instruments. And he's a marvellous, if you want a boogie-woogie piano, if you want Irish piano, if you want pseudo-classical piano, if you want sort of Booker T and the MG organ. Yeah. And he plays guitar and, and he can sing as well. He's oh, like, now, he's, he's, now he's just starting to shit me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. He, is, he isn't in the band, no, unfortunately. So who is in the band? Who have you got in the okay. band? Okay. We've got Ashley Naylor. Oh, yeah, he's a guitarist, yeah, Ash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got great. Ian Ho. Great. Ian, Ian Ho from Powderfinger. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, we've got a guy called Jeffrey Kane uh, who was um, in an American band called Remy Zero. All right. He, he joined as our auxiliary player, and now he's become a full-time member. We have Tim Poles on drums, and we have another drummer for this tour, at least, called Nick Meredith. So we've got two drummers. You're using them both at the same time? Or yeah. After, really? Stage permitting, yes. Not, not since Gary Glitter have we seen two drummers, I don't think. Or Adam Ann. Or even the best one was Sieg Sieg Sputnik. Oh, had two electro drummers, two guys and sitting there on pads playing the identical thing that was a drum machine anyway. Um, Zig, Zig Zig Sputnik were the first and probably only band that sold advertising space between tracks on their, on their album. Ah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I was telling someone about that. That's exactly what they did. It seemed like it was the future. Well, you know, you can just about pay for the album cost of recording it by sticking a Sony ad in between songs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of wearing T-shirts on stage advertising vodka and cigarettes. You know what I mean? So like, the, why not? Like footy not? Yeah. yeah. You know, the church bought to you by New Brick. Yeah. <laughs> Little things yeah. on the collar and on the T-shirt. That's good. Yeah. Eight, o- office, wo- office works on your pants. That's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what's that you're drinking? Uh, it's it's uh, breakfast beer because we're going to the airport. It just seems to okay, work that okay. way. Yeah. Well, uh, who's, the, um, who's the big alcohol? Who's the guy? Dan Murphy. Yeah. Oh, Dan yeah, Murphy. Murphy. Dan Murphy, all across all my clothes, got Steve Kilby appears at courtesy of Dan Murphy. Yeah, I reckon my drummer should have Dan Murphy written on his in his skin. <laughs> a tattoo. He's <laughs> tattooed, tattooed, a tan Dan Murphy tattoo, yeah. and on it's his the next step for that's yeah. past the sponsorship on the t-shirt is to actually get a tattoo. Hey, two and a half hours on stage. That's going to be yeah. is that a is that a big ask for you? Not at all. I'm, I'm preparing for this all year by walking 10 kilometres, doing yoga, swimming. Um, you look really well. Thank you. That's because I don't 
don't go to Dan Murphy's very often. <laughs> um, no, no, two and a half hours, we need it because, like, we've got 42 years of music to play and we've got to get it all in there. So it's a big ask of the audience, so I admit. How do you decide what songs you're going to play in the two we and a half hours? Because how many albums have you got? You've got about 12 albums, haven't you? No, we got like 30 albums. I only bought the first 12. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So. No, we argue. You, we argue. We argue. So well, we've got to play, play that. And, and then someone says, oh, we can't do that one. We've got too many songs in the key of D. And, oh, we've got too many songs in this tempo. And there's too many moody ones and too many old <laughs> ones, too many new ones. And so everybody sort of, we have a bit of a horse trading session. So it's, you've it's, got a new album. Is it? Is yeah, it pronounced it's coming out? Hypnagog. Is that how you pronounce Hypnagog, it? Hypnagog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is? I looked it up. It's a drug or agent that induces sleep. That's not a great title for an album. I wouldn't have thought. Um, look, look. There is no such word as hypnagog. There's hypnagogic, oh. and oh. there's hypnagogia. Um, hip, hip, so when you fall asleep, um, when your thoughts turn into dreams. That's that's when you're in the hypnagogic state. Before you're actually dreaming, your thoughts, you know that lovely, it's that horrible time to get woken up. That's when you really get angry, when you're in the hypnagogic state and you're just drifting off. It's also when you sort of have a, one of those mini sleeps that cause a car crash. It's when the thoughts are turning into dreams and they're still very fluid and you're sort of somewhere between awake and sleep, the hypnagogic state. I extrapolated from that. Um, this thing, the hypnagogue, which is a place where people go to, um, it's the, it's a concept album, believe it or not. It's a guy who, who goes to this machine called the hypnagogue cause he's dried up and he can't write songs anymore. And the hypnagogue sucks the music out of his head with disastrous consequences for him and the people who hear the music. So that's the idea of the hypnagogue. It's a sort of a dystopian future jobby. Where it, yeah, this this rock star, this sort of washed up rock star, goes to visit the hypnagogue and and has this process which sucks the songs out of his head that he can't find. Is it potentially a musical? Nah, there's no real story. There's no real. It's not. It, it, it's like a. I like concept albums that don't give you all the. You've got to sort of fill in the bit yourself. Yeah. So it's a very it's a very loose concept. It, it wouldn't really. It's never going to be a musical. Lyrics that you can uh, define. I wish it would be. You, 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 lyrics you define define your own meaning from them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Like, so like, yeah. Yeah. Like Crowded House, I reckon, is really good at it. They write poetry, and you sort of go, "Oh, yeah, that means that to me," but it probably means something different to thirty other people. Ambiguity, and, um, Brian. Ambiguity. ambiguity. That's- that's my specialty and always has been. <laughs> it's been my weak point, I think. I just say, no, nah, I don't want to work. No, no, not me. Um, yeah, there's not much ambiguity in my work, but um, that's okay, you know, horses for courses. So how long is the tour going for? It's just the capital cities. Um, it's, just, it's just like nine dates or something. Like, um, okay. I think Margaret River 
which you have to kind of do. She, to, she is a great bird, by the way. She works for Festival Records and uh, she was terrific to us, but no, sorry, I've, <laughs> I've interjected. So, sorry, right. Margaret, Margaret River. What about Margaret River? Is she pregnant no, or no, what's I'm, going on with her? I'm just, just saying it's all the capital cities except for Margaret River. That's the one gig that you have to do to sort of justify spending all that money to flying all the people to Perth. So yeah, you, do right. an, you do an extra gig and it's Margaret River. I keep wondering, what the hell are you going to play? You've got to play under the Milky Way. You've probably got to play uh, almost with you. You've got to play... Um, unguarded moment. Unguarded moment. Yeah. But then the smorgasbord, I guess. There's a lot of stuff to choose from. There's 400 songs and we can only do 20. And yeah, we four hundred do... songs. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Shit. So what's yeah. that? It's no wonder you argue about, about what? what you're going to play. <laughs> well, you know we've got to narrow it down to twenty, haven't we? And we so, do have to play those ones you mentioned. I wish I had the maths in my head to say so. You, for every one song you do, you're knocking back twenty nine or something. That's <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Wow. It's like uh, all the people trying to be AFL players, you know what I mean? And there's only room for there's yeah, only yeah. room for so many. Yeah, I get it. But um, is it, but aren't you the dictator of the church? Aren't you don't you make no. that no. no? I am no, I'm I'm the minister for esoteric affairs. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably the drummer will decide what we do. The drummers. Uh, it, the drummers well, one of the drummers will have more say than the other one. Fair enough. He's out. He's, he's arrived. I am. I'm here at uh, Coolangatta Airport. It's a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky, as you can see. Yeah. Wow. Lucky at, you. Yeah, it's, I like Queensland. It's great. Um, anyway, <laughs> en enough about me. Oh, okay. There's clearly not enough you're the, about me. You're the, absolute, <laughs> absolute, you're the absolute picture of professionalism. Standing there at the airport drinking a beer. Well, you know, that's the problem today. There's no sort of all the rock stars are having yogurt and water backstage, and yeah. there is there is no Keith Richards in Australia. So I've got to be that guy. Okay, you know the irresponsible, drunk and drug taking um, pop star. I guess that's so. But anyway, as I said, enough about me. Keith, ask something that's ask something that's good. I wanted to ask you about you went uh, you did some gigs in the US recently is that right Yeah yeah So tell tell us about that because I was like with Blondie and all sorts of people Oh uh, yeah we did a um, we did a Cruel World Festival which was two days um, so we played twice There was Morrissey and Blondie and Psychedelic Furs and Bauhaus Devo wow. Public Image Limited The Damned um, all of those bands, and we were in there somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, um, Barton, our drummer, um, ended up snorting some speed with Johnny Rotten, which I thought was the most exciting thing of, 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 that happened. <laughs> why, why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> um, how was Morrissey? Was he backstage cracking a few jokes? No, no, Morrissey had his own compound. Oh, that Morrissey, doesn't surprise me. Morrissey, Morrissey doesn't hang out with other people in bands. Uh, he had like his own his own compound, and you weren't allowed in there, and nobody saw him, and 
Um, there you go. <laughs> do, you, do you laugh at that pretentious bullshit now and find yeah. it amusing? Yeah, but I wish it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't laugh I wouldn't laugh if I was the guy with my own compound being able to act like that, but yep. I can't, so I laugh, laugh at the ones that do. Yep. Did, did you talk to Johnny Rotten at all? I didn't, but um, Barton Price, who was playing drums for us at the time, he did. He went and hung out with him. Um, I sort of I disappeared after the show and went off, but um, Barton hung around into the wee, wee small hours and actually rang me up at 9 o'clock in the morning and was quite disoriented. Oh. Yeah, he said it was the best speed he'd ever had. <laughs> we, we interviewed him and I thought, oh, he's just like going to tell us to get fucked. But he was really good. Yeah, he, he was, was really funny and he was, yeah, I was surprised that he was such an accommodating he was, bloke. He, he seemed to be, yeah, he was sitting next door to us and he was right. sitting there at a table of guys and he was just having a good time. He's I, I no, no longer sort of that, that angry young man. I think he's a lot more approachable still. I didn't Ooh. want to approach him and be told to get fucked, so I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Barton, Barton approached him and didn't get told to get fucked, so well, there you well, go. When we were interviewing, I when thought if he's, to have been, if he's to have been a prick, I'm just going to tell him to go and get fucked himself. <laughs> but um, it didn't. I it thought, it, it, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, I told Johnny Rotten to get fucked, but um, we, it didn't come to that, and he was, he was, it was a great chat we had with him. But um, Yeah. Are you excited by this tour, Steve? I am. I really am. I'm very excited. Um, I really want to play these new songs. I want to see how it works out with the two drummers. Yep. Um, I want to see how I go with Margaret River. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, I heard she pregnant, she, but I don't if know. If she remembers me. <laughs> from festival, from the festival days. When she was working at festival <laughs> records, yeah, yeah. Right. yes, with the A and R girl for festival, Margaret. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Margaret. She was Maggie. I used to call Maggie. Her, we right. used to call her Maggie. We used to call yeah. her Maggie. Me and Maggie. me and Mannix. Me and we, we were allowed to call her Maggie. And she, she. I'll tell you what. She wouldn't let James Rain call her Maggie. No, we were special. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. God, uh, I think we're having a psychedelic walk down memory lane as we speak, uh, which is how you yeah. described how you described this this tour. Is the is the what, now what's what's happening with the new songs? When are we going to see them as a kind of an album or whatever? Oh, uh, well, we have a we have a sort of a you say single these days, but it isn't. Is this yeah. track? We're dropping a track. I hate that fucking phrase. <laughs> we're dropping a track next week with a really good video, but it's six and a half minutes long. I don't think Triple M are rushing to add it to their playlist somehow. Right. Um, and the whole album's coming out next year, unfortunately, because, you know, when you get to Brian and my age, next year is a long time, isn't it, Brian? If someone says, do you want, do you want to do something next year? It's like, will I be here next year? If will I'm even, alive. Yes. If I'm alive, yes, I'll do that show, yeah. So I'm kind of. I'm kind of disappointed that it's been put off till next year, but it had to be. Yeah. Oh, well, aren't you two a pair of fucking bright lights? Oh, if I'm alive next year. Yeah, <laughs> good I'm on alive. you. Yeah, if I'm yeah. alive. If yeah. I'm alive. Imagine if me with all my yoghurt and spring water 
die early and Mannix is still running around Australia drinking beer at 11 o'clock in the morning. That would be so fucking unfair. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that's 100% right. But, Steve, you and I both know that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> maybe they can get. Maybe they can get him to write. I probably will get a state funeral in Sydney, and I imagine Brian will be walking ahead of my coffin, sprinkling flowers. <laughs> well, I do have uh, quite a bit of experience as an altar boy, so you know, coming to a church and wearing a dress, I am totally comfortable with that. So. Yeah, that's all. That's all good. Do you know what? Do you know what Brian said about the church in 1981? No, no. what? He said. Um, he said it's like the Partridge family on Mandra. Well, can you mute the noise behind you for one second? I didn't hear what he said. He said it's like the part. I apparently described the church as it's like the Partridge family on Mandrax. Yeah, restaurants bar. Did you say that? It sounds like me because I always thought that Steve looked like David Cassidy. David Cassidy, yeah. Uh, my wife was a really big um, David Cassidy fan. Yeah. And I, to the point where I had to buy a ticket to go and see David Cassidy. I don't know what the hell he had down his pants, but it looked like a flashlight. But um, And it was dreadful. But I said, you know, why don't you like the church? Steve Kilby looks just like me. And then she suddenly looked at you and went, oh, my God. He does look like David Cassidy. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. And you know what? I really played it up in high school, you know? Thank you. I really, oh, really? I yeah, yeah. To, I could never get my fucking hair to go quite like that. It was, and pretty, it was pretty close. It was close. It was close, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't quite David. Yeah. So have you included, you know, I'll meet you halfway or how can I be sure or cherish in the uh, in the new stage show? <laughs> um, not yet. But I think I, think I love you. Enough, uh, you know what? If someone offers me enough money, you'll see me at the Palais doing it with um, Daryl Braithwaite and John Stevens, I'm sure. <laughs> Bring back the Partridge Family show. Well, you got, you're going to need a little red-headed bass player to... Stand yeah. next to you, yeah. Who could that That's be? Uh, I, I could wear a wig because I can play bass quite badly. And you're short. Uh, but, but you, and I'm short. That might work. Oh, well, you know. You could be, to, no, you could be the girl that plays, the little girl that plays the tambourine and doesn't have many lines. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll be Tracy. Okay. I'm happy to be Tracy in your Partridge Family tribute band. And Margaret <laughs> River would obviously be uh, the Shirley Jones role playing the keyboard. Well, I think yes. Margaret, Margaret would be good uh, doing the Shirley Jones uh -huh. role. <laughs> and Frank Savala could be the, the hard-ass manager. Reuben Kincaid. <laughs> Reuben Kincaid, yeah. <laughs> or Chuggy. <laughs> Chuggy is yeah. Chuggy is Reuben Kincaid. Yeah, you better uh, fucking you better fucking go out there and play. <laughs> you, you with a black t-shirt, stop running. <laughs> you did the best Michael Chug I've ever heard, Stephen. I the know. best. You know what? This guy rang up. Um, there was this journalist once, and he he rang up the studio, and I answered as Chuggy, and I said, "What have you been saying about me?" And the guy went, "Michael." Michael, I said, what have you been fucking saying about me? And the guy said, I'm sorry, Michael, 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 I didn't say anything. And then 10 minutes later, the real Chuggy rang up me and went, 
kill me? Have you have an image hiding me again? <laughs> did you did you ever stay at the Cosmopolitan in Bondi in the eighties? The, the hotel, the Cosmopolitan. I, I know the place very well. I never stayed there because I live in Sydney. So I, I, but ah. I did visiting. I did visit visiting rock stars who were holding court there. So I know what? the establishment you mean. Well, there was a guy managing that who was called Jeff Gibson, and our manager yeah. wor- worked out how to impersonate him perfectly. And so he'd ring up, you know, little heroes or whoever, and go, "Hello, it's Jeff Gibson here." We're you know, we're going to be complaints about the noise from the room. Oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. And he'd just ring up all the bands and tell them that, you know, he's just bullshitting, but all the bands would shit themselves like, oh, we had to keep the noise down, boys. But, yeah, yeah, it's good fun impersonating people if you can do it well. Yeah, yeah. Steve, it's been wonderful to catch up. Hasn't it? Thank you so much. Uh, for, Where is for... Manix now? I thought Manix had arrived and now he's in another car. What's going on there? Well, the plane doesn't leave till four, so we thought we'd go and have a boozy lunch and um, at Coolangatta, and then we'll go but back at how three come, o'clock. Can I just ask, why did you get out of one car into another? How, why did we had to return the hire car by twelve? Good on you for multitasking, Brian. <laughs> well, they reckon men can't multitask. I reckon that's bullshit. Because the other day I was walking down the street. One, I was drunk. Two, I fell over. Three. A car hit me, four. I did four things all at once. So that's multitasking, I reckon. Wow, that is. I've got a question for you, Brian. How's your fucking liver? <laughs> well, it's, in the, it's in the other part. It's what in the back of the, it? it's in the, back of the <laughs> thing there. It's, about it's in this the back big. of the van what? in it's a road this big. <laughs> I didn't hear. I didn't hear the question. I went through a dead spot. What was the question? How's your liver? Um, slightly high, but... Ridiculously good. Um, I I think because I don't eat a lot, um, I don't overwork my liver and my internal organs too much because I eat like a sparrow. Eat like a sparrow. I've got a motto for you and you could have it in Latin. You ready? Yeah, eat like a sparrow, Uh, drink like a fish. I will get my Latin translator. I did do a bit of Latin at school. The only one thing I can remember is Ubi es Puella, which means where are the girls? But um, All right, gentlemen. Thanks, right. Steve. Okay. Thank I'll you, Steve. See you. see you next time. Yeah, thanks, yeah, mate. Appreciate yeah. it. Bye. Take care. Good luck with the tour, mate. Keep on rocking. Thank you. I knew you'd find me crying Tell those girls with rifles for minds That their jokes don't make me laugh They only make me feel like dying In unguarded moments Wish I knew what you Peculiar 
Church, uh, I mentioned we will uh, give you the dates and I'll do that uh, right now. Thursday, September 1 at the Astor in Perth. Friday, September 2, Margaret River. Oh, hello, <laughs> Margaret. <laughs> yeah, I reckon you could make it actually a song. You could you change the lyrics and turn Yellow River into Margaret River and you could do something decidedly unsavoury with that, I would have thought. I would think Yellow and Margaret meet, meeting together would be quite unpleasant. Margaret River, Margaret, yeah, okay. Sunday 4th of September at the Gov in Adelaide, Thursday September 8th at the Metro in Sydney, Friday September the 9th at the Princess Theatre in Brisbane and they finish the tour off Saturday September 10 at the Northcote Theatre in Northcote. You sound like Molly on Countdown when you do oh, the dates. Yeah, sorry. Day off, here's the dates, the sweet tour, <laughs> and uh, Sabaton on the 4th, could be the 5th, I'm not sure. <laughs> then they're off to the showgrounds on the 9th of August, October. Not sure, but they'll be there. <laughs> yeah, Molly. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that, that's when you can catch the uh, the church uh, live uh, doing the uh, the thing. Two and a half hours on stage is going to be a big show, massive show. Wow. Well, it's certainly getting your money through it, aren't you? Absolutely, but as they, you they've are. Got so, they've, but they've got so many albums that, you know, they probably have to play for two and a half hours. Yeah, well, yeah, one in every 35 songs gets a Guernsey. That's about, <laughs> it's about the ratio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's over the top, isn't it? It's a worry. Uh, now, we've got yeah. one song we want to play to finish off, and that's uh, our I Love That Song, and the man who wrote it joins us now to have a chat about it. It's uh, Father's Day by Weddings, Parties, Anything, and the man, of course, is Mick Thomas. We basically want to talk to you about, uh, you know, because we both obviously, as so many other people do, we just love um, Father's Day and we wanted to go through how it sort of came together. Sure. Yep. So when did you write it? Um, I guess it was oh, – well, no, I, I can tell you it was, was written the week of my 30th birthday. I remember a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic time. So that was um, 1990. 
So why was it a catastrophic like, time? Because you were turning forty. No, well, kind of, sort of. I, I, I just sort of split up with a, a long-term partner, so it sort of it was that realization of, of waking up um, upstairs at the Annandale Hotel on my thirtieth birthday, and thinking, ah, "Okay, <laughs> is this what mm. success looks like?" <laughs> <laughs> and and it was kind of like. Yeah, in that situation, you tend to not tell people it's your birthday. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was like temporary accommodation and you go, ah, oh, shit, so this is this is uh, where it's led me to at this point in time. So, so yeah. with your long-term partner that you broke up with, had you had a child? No, I hadn't. I hadn't. So it was it was very much written specifically about, there was a, a guy who um, had been a friend for, for the entire time who he used to... Um, was was the stage guy for the weddings. Um, yeah, he's still a buddy and stuff like that. So it was, you know, he sort of probably handed me a good half of the lines in the song, just just conversationally, you know. Um, so so I guess on, on on one hand, on one hand, it was very much about him and his situation with his child, but on, on the other hand, it was sort of just as much uh, as much about the sort of deprivation of just sort of splitting up with someone and. Finding yourself living in that, that that sort of place, you know, where uh, where a song like that might um, take place. Because it's such what a personal it? lyric, it just it sounds and that, and I mean, God knows you sing it really, really well. Every time I've ever heard you sing it, it just sounds like you pouring your heart out. Well, it is, it is because I mean, the, the thing is, although I, I wasn't a father at the time, I was still a son. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. and. Um, and you know, and, and and anyone can have that feeling of sort of being, you know, of, of sort of being deprived of, of that sort of affection, or, or 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 finding yourself in that situation where you know you've logically decided that you know something has to end and something uh, has to change in your life, and um, so th- there was that situation like that I had where I'd been with this partner for for a number of years, and we'd said, well, look, look, it's it's finished, but we're still gonna. Kind of wean ourselves off this relationship by sort of seeing each other on a regular basis. So it was, I, I guess, in, in some in some degrees, I was, I was in the same position, even though it wasn't to do with the child, but it was to do with a, another person of, of, of sort of limiting, you know, of you know, putting putting those sort of limits on my, on myself. And you know, I've always been a great pain to, to, for the song to not be seen as some sort of call to arms, you know, for. You know, father's rights or anything like that, because I, I, I'm, I'd always like to stress the fact that the people in the in the song have made a really sort of strong, positive decision. You know, to try and do the right thing. You know, um, because it, it's not working. So, so you know, um, but but it's it's one thing to, to make the decision, so I'm going to do the right thing. It's, it's another thing to sort of live with it and live with the kind of. Um, Sense of um, of loss that entails. Well, one of the things I think is really great about the song is that, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only song I've ever heard that tackles this particular topic. And it's, you know, and it's a very real situation for you know thousands and thousands of guys. But you know, it's just nobody else has ever written about this before, as far as I know. And um, was that something you did on purpose or was just, nah, this is what I feel like writing? As, as a writer, you know, you're just kind of always on the lookout for a song. And, and, and look, there are other songs about, you know, um, parents splitting up. I mean, the, 
I always think of uh, Chuck Berry's Memphis, Tennessee. You know that, which has got, got the great thing of like, um, it, it sort of seems like a love song. And then at the end, he says, "Maria is only six years old." Information, please. And he's and you realise it's a guy trying to trying to ring his daughter. Yeah. But um, I, I, look, so I, I, I think that you know, as 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 a song subject. There's, no, there's nothing crazy or weird or wonderful about it, but but I think it's it's whatever angle you choose to take, which is going to make it really personal and really specific. Um, rock and roll is pretty old now, so I, I think it's got to address the fact that people are getting old with it, you know. And so there's got to be it's got to be more than just uh, you know teenage stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be some other subject matter going on there. Mick, I'm, I'm sure blokes have come up to you and said that song's touched them and, you know, hit a chord with them and, uh, and resonated with them. Um, it must have happened to you thousands of times. For sure. And but and, and the, look, and if someone starts comes up and starts saying that, and that's great, then if they start on about their ex-wife or their, their visiting rights or whatever, I just cut them right off. But yeah. the ones I love is, you know, like I've, I've – and there's probably not been that many, but I've had a, 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 I, I can – Specifically, remember one guy saying to me that the song was like a turning point for him because he just said, "Well, he was, you know, it split up with his partner, and there was a kid, and he was at a point where he he was going to walk away from it." And he said, and "He heard the song, and he thought, well, the guy in the song is trying to work it out, you know, he he, he doesn't want to put, you know, because it, it says, you know, um, if if she said that I was right, then I would say that I was right, you know, and and it, he doesn't want to be be sort of laying blame or he, he wants to." Wants to work out a way of of doing the right thing, and and I, I think that's that's what's kind of really important about it, you know. Like I I think I took that line from a a, a Woody Guthrie biography where he's he's, he's talking he's talking about his um his first wife, and he, he said from her point of view she was right, from my point of view I was right, and I thought well yeah you, you can say that, but really what it comes down to is 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 the end. In fact, of how much time and quality time, and and how much um, you can give to the the, the one person in it who, who who definitely has no blame, which is the kid. Mm. Yeah, you always seem to write really great lyrics, uh, Mick. And you know, this this being an, an obvious display of great writing and great lyrics, do you, do, is that helped by the fact that you studied literature? For sure. Look, I, I, I think I think it's some, something that, like, um, c- quite often, you know, sort of, I, you know, well, quite often, every now and then, I'll I'll get um, a call to go and sort of do a songwriting workshop with people, and I, I always just say, well, you know, it, and generally you sit there, and, I, and I'm always interested in what brought these people to this this point in time where they want to write a song, and nearly nearly every time, it's people have just been through, you know, been playing music all their lives. And I, I was going, well, it's great that you've learned how to play an instrument and, and, you know, come through music, but there's this other side of it, you know, so um, that, that you've got to address. And, and so, you know, you, you you should really be trying to keep yourself around some uh, some poetry and some writing and some some areas where, where the where the words have really got to stand up, you know, or or certainly don't don't reject that, you know. So so yeah, I, I think having having studied that was 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 really helpful. I mean, at the time I was just a kid that sort of came through school and didn't know what they wanted to do, and my family seemed to have produced a fair amount of, uh, of teachers over the years. So you know that was kind of I guess where I was drifting towards. But really, what I wanted to do was play music. So 
I, I just think it, the byproduct of, of it was pretty good, you know. I mean, and there might be some other people that, you know, might come through and study motor mechanics and they'll be the ones that'll be up, up the front of the of the van when it breaks down. And <laughs> you know, there's, all, there's all these things you can bring with you to uh, to being a musician. It's one of the great sort of things about it is, is that it, it, it is pretty, it does call, you know, call for a lot of different um disciplines, you know, tasks and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, look, certainly having studied it and having read a lot was was, was re- really helpful, you know, and, it, and still is. Is the song yeah. still a favourite of yours? I mean, still... Uh, I'm- yeah, look, t- totally, totally and utterly, you know. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of always looked at the artists that sort of don't play their hits and stuff like that, and you go, well, look, it's great. Some people are really good at doing that and moving on, but, you know, I, I think it's a glass half full, glass half empty situation, you know. There's not that, you know, weddings didn't get that many hits. I haven't had that many hits. That it, as, you know, I, I look at, I look at when I write my set and list every time I do a gig and I tend to write in those ones that I'm expected to play first because I go, well, you know what, you can pin your set around them, you know. I, I, as a kid, I, I can always remember putting on something like Bob Marley Live and that sound of the audience recognition when they go in to say, yeah, you know, no woman, no cry, and you just do, 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 and the crowd go, Whoa, and I thought, I want that. Yeah, I want yeah. that. That's what I. That's what I want. Now, so it would be pretty stupid to spend all that time trying to get a hit <laughs> and then not play it, you know. So I'm really happy to have have a, a song like that. That's you know, that's, that's pivotal and stuff like that. And you know, I, I wish I had a few more, but in a way, you know, like I say, that's where the glasses. Half full because it means that I, I get to chuck in a few extra songs. You know, I always looked at metal as anything, and who I always just loved. And I thought, my God, how do you fit all these hits into your set? Because there's no room there, you know. But yeah. um, certainly by the end of the weddings, you know, we, you know, one of the big things with, with breaking up that band was I just felt we had no room anymore, you know, like uh, because we'd always played these certain songs as if they were hits. So there was a lot of songs which people wouldn't outside of the, the, the wedding's, you know, fervent sort of um, following, people wouldn't recognise those songs as hits. But if you're a wedding party, you have to play those songs. And so by, by the end of it, I felt very con- constricted in terms of what we could and couldn't play. But, you know, now I, I think it's, it's pretty reasonable, really, that, that, you know, there's four or five songs that, that I play every time I play. And, you know, I think it's a good song. It sort of works. It's... it's uh, you know, well-rounded. And what I do notice is I can go off to, say, play in Europe and, you know, I play in these little folk clubs and it'd be just generally me and, me and Wally on the accordion or me and Barclay. And, and we'll go and play in these little places and we don't have to play that song every night, you know, like over there because it wasn't a hit, right? So people are just interested in what you do for whatever reason. So they've, they've come to you by this album or that album or this album or because their mates told you, Told them that we were good, or for whatever, or because they've seen Australia on the poster, and you know someone in Germany or someone turns up to see you. So you don't have to play that song, but you pretty, I pretty sure come back to the fact that it's one of the strongest songs I've got. You know, yeah. it's like it's very immediate, like the emotion of it's very immediate and strong. Like you, you pretty much know what the song's about within, you know, within a minute. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. so on those nights when I don't have to play it, I go. Yeah, might as well play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bloody classic, mate. It's a classic. It is a classic. 
That's great. Yeah. Bloody ripping song. Great song. Uh, and congratulations on writing it and uh, and and continuing to bring it to people because people like you're right. They they do want to hear it. They want to they they go and see you and they want to hear you sing that song because you do it so well. Well, that's right. Look, and, and I I think that on, on a broad sense, you know, what what I sort of write about is people trying to make sense of their lives and trying to work through, you know, what being a human being in this um, day and age is all about and try, trying to make sense of the world. So that song is is pretty much up there in terms of, in terms of that, that whole whole brief and that whole idea. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty much a walk-up start that I'm going to play. Yeah. Mate, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for spending a bit with us. We're going to get you back before Christmas and talk about uh, your new uh, EP and your new album that's coming out in 2023. But uh, always good to catch up. Take care. Good on you. Yeah, you too. Cheers,
Father's Day, what a fabulous song. Father's Day is coming up on uh, on Sunday week. That's a really good song. We'll get Mick back, as we mentioned, and, uh, and have a chat to him about those new songs. Uh, I think the EP is coming out around about uh, just before Christmas, so we'll, we'll get him on a show leading up to Christmas to have a chat. He's always got something to say, Mick, in his songs. He doesn't – I think a lot of songs, they you know they just fill it up with words that don't really mean anything. Yeah. But he's always got something to say that's worthwhile, and I think that's why he's such a good songwriter. Yeah, and he's re- his observational stuff about you know places like Under the Clock Towers and and Monday's Expert, that other terrific song that they were yeah. using on the telly for the footy and stuff. Uh, yeah, his observational uh, sort of uh, what he sees in the world, uh, I always found fascinating with uh, with the stuff that he does. He's a really really talented man. So looking forward to having him back on the program. Thank you, Brian. Mm. That is the end of this Thank show. You. Really? Yes. Thank well, you to Normie Rowe. Thank you to Stephen Kilby. And thank you to uh, Mick Thomas for being on the show. Coming up, Izzy Die. Ooh. Ronnie Charles. Uh huh. And uh, Tom Bailey from the Thompson Twins amongst the guests that we have coming. And I've got another big one that I'm just just bubbling at the moment, They're waiting for the confirmation. And when we get that, Brian and I are going to be off our tits. Don't you worry about that. I'm off my tits right now, Jeff. <laughs> I told you not to get a head start on me with that. Oh. Uh, Murcott's driving excellence. They're the people you should talk to. Don't be off your tits when you phone them. Just give them a call, one three hundred five 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 seven six, or jump on the website, murcotts.edu.au, and they'll look after you. They'll make sure you're a better driver. They will. What about a, a voucher for Father's Day and you know or something what? like that? Exactly right. And and if you're a better driver, you, you've got better passengers because they're not – Shitting themselves about being in the car. Yeah, with you. <laughs> and and also too is you know as, as guys get older, their skills and stuff. Like I know my father-in-law, he went and he was I think seventy, and he went and had you know lessons to sort of get up to speed and make yeah. sure he was still driving well. So a voucher for Mercots for Father's Day could be a good thing. A very good idea. Mercots.edu.au. Jump on the website now. Get a voucher. Thank you, Brian. We'll see you on the next Life of Brian. Take care of yourself. I will, Kev. Thank you very much and thanks for listening.